0: when you walk into your house and your kids have it a mess or there's all of these normal life situations that we might not be regulating our nervous system to that are just adding to that inflammatory state. So those are a lot of things that you do have control over. So starting to really break down and see, okay, I don't have control over my house right now, but I can keep it really ventilated. I can have this air purifier. I can reduce my toxic burden and I have a lot of control over how I react and respond to things that is gonna really help me come back into a healing state. And I don't think that's for nothing. I think that's a better choice and is moving you more towards the direction that you wanna go.
1: What's up, lovely ladies? Dr. Emily Kybert here with Thyroid Strong Podcast. I am a chiropractor, a mama to Elvis in Brooklyn, and I have Hashimoto's, but it's currently in remission. On this podcast, I share simple, actionable steps with a little bit of tough love on how to lose that stubborn weight, get your energy and your life back, and finally learn how to work out without burning out, living with Hashimoto's. Dr. Nancy Kral is a trained doctor of oriental medicine, functional medicine, and a transformational mindset coach. She's passionate about sustainability practices. She's a traveler at heart and is currently enjoying living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in a partially off-the-grid dwelling and large garden with her beautiful son, Sage, and adorable rescue, Shih Tzu Bodhi. She's a creator of the Resonance Program, a proven 12-month process that specializes in helping clients with hormonal imbalance, adrenal fatigue, gas, bloating, stress, and anxiety to be set free. Her unique approach uncovers the thoughts and emotions at the core of any disease and then incorporates this inner healing along with client-specific protocols for nutrition and well-being. This approach creates optimal success for her clients to reverse symptoms and live a highly energized, healthy life. We talk all about this inside Thyroid Strong Podcast. Dr. Nancy Kroll, welcome to Thyroid Strong Podcast. We have known each other for many years, even pre pandemic years. And I always love the messaging that you share on Instagram, this holistic, integrative approach, which can sometimes get overused. You really take it to the next level. And you and I were going back and forth on both of our mold journeys. And I wanted to bring you on because. I find myself stuck in a sympathetic state, especially when it comes to mold. I would love for you just to share like a little tidbit about your background, first of all, because you've experienced mold and listeners have heard different mold episodes here. But I really want to share yours coming from this not mental aspect, not mind over matter, but a little bit of that.
0: Thank you for having me, Emily. I'm really excited about being here. So it's interesting when I think about my own mold journey, it's in hindsight. So I didn't realize I had a mold journey until I was so far down my functional medicine journey. that I was like, oh, I think I had mold issues because I didn't come into functional medicine until probably about six years ago. My health journey started in my early 20s. I didn't have access to that, both financially and just even information wise during that time. So most of it has been like, oh. That's why I had such a bad Epstein-Barr virus. That's why I had all of these. I went to a university in the Pacific Northwest. And so I lived in all the homes unknowingly. It wasn't actually something I was ever looking for, especially when you're a college student, you're not really noticing small details of your homes. But I did have a lot of health symptoms that were a result of that. So I started resolving my mold issues just through the other protocols that i was doing for my gut microbiome and detoxing other things and then more recently have targeted mold and then it's just become more and more on my mind as i lived the last two years in the yucatan and the caribbean of mexico where it's just very hot and humid it was on my mind of not wanting to backslide in my health but also being very aware that i had some symptoms arise while i was there which I don't think that I have mold sensitivity like some people have. It was more foggy thinking and some more generalized symptoms that could have been anything, but it's just been on my mind. So that's where I am. But I work with a lot of people that have sensitivity to mold, who have chronic health conditions. And what I've realized in that... In the functional medicine world, we get very caught up. So, to those of you listening, I'm sure she'll read my bio, but I'm a doctor of oriental medicine and I've studied functional medicine. So, my primary lens is actually through an Eastern perspective. I take functional medicine through a different lens than, say, an MD that studied functional medicine. I think that really does impact how you take in that information. What I've recognized is that functional medicine, still in many ways, can become very mechanistic and very allopathic, where They're breaking down all of these body systems and finding the root cause, but then it's still very tit-for-tat. Like, I'm doing this protocol for that, and it's still kind of salami-cutting the human and not recognizing that there's a holistic human there, and that's body, mind, and spirit. And so... The work that I really like to focus on is addressing the physical health by reducing toxic load, but then also really focusing, Emily mentioned, on the psycho-emotional aspect, which I believe is underlooked or undervalued a lot of times. But it really does impact, even science-wise, on the physical health. Can you share,
1: because I also went to grad school in the Pacific Northwest in Portland. Yeah. And I just remember before I went there, I was like, this is it. It's on paper. There's hiking, there's biking. And then I got there and it is so wet. And at the time I didn't know it and I didn't even think about mold, but I just remember I felt like for those four years that I was there studying, I never felt awake. I felt like I was like pounding coffee and I just attributed it to being in school, being in class many hours and then going home and studying, burning the candle at both ends And not till after this retrospective look like you did. Oh, like Portland's really moldy. Maybe that was an aspect of it, of like never feeling like I was awake. I was always in this fog.
0: I would say that's true. I suffered from a lot of depression. And so you might say, oh, maybe it's seasonal depression because literally they get two months of sunlight. (laughs) You don't see the sun for the month of February at all, like not even a break in the clouds. But it probably also didn't help that would I would say those would, were my wild and party years. So it was compounded with a lot of other unhealthy choices. So it's really hard for me to discern what was purely mold and what was unhealthy choices that I was making. Yeah, looking back, there's just the amount of anxiety that I had, panic attacks. I had Epstein Bar virus. So I had mono, but most people have Epstein Bar virus. So when we look at why someone gets so sick with Epstein Bar, it's typically something else as attributing to their immune system issue. I think it was the mold for me because after that, my immune system was so tanked for years after that. Anytime I got a cold, it turned into walking pneumonia or bronchitis. I ended up getting almost like PTSD around my immune system for a good five or six years because I got so sick anytime I did get sick. And I really think that was due to, again, the mold exposures that I had.
1: Especially when you work with your clients and your patients. Yeah. You say we can't heal our bodies without radical environmentalism. Is this what you're talking about?
0: Yeah, I think it could go many directions, literally our environment of our homes. But even on a bigger scale, why is it that mold is so much of an issue for us now than it was 100 years ago is because of the level of toxic burden that our bodies have. So if we think about how our body processes mold, some of you listeners might have heard 75% of the population can detox mold pretty easily through creating antibodies and getting it out. The other 25% doesn't have that capacity, that genetic component. So they're relying on their detox pathways, which are primarily your liver in this case, to get those toxins out, those biotoxins. And if you already have stagnant detox pathways or a burdened liver, which is going to be impacted by our environment. I'm thinking like car pollution, heavy metals, formaldehyde, literally just modern life. That's already burdened, which for most of us it is because of modern life. You're not going to be able to detox mold out of the body. You can't be committed to your health without being an environmentalist. I really believe that once you start to commit to your health and you start to see the impacts and realizing that You cannot actually fully heal while you're living in this toxic environment. Then you actually start to make some bigger choices of, okay, how can I be a contributor to positive environmental changes on a global scale? Sometimes I even feel guilty about the amount of plastic bottles that I take with my supplements, right? Why aren't people using biodegradable packaging yet for these? Or There's all of these layers, but I think that the more of us that wake up to it and realize, oh, well... I'm taking all these supplements to help my liver detox, but at the same time, I'm creating microplastics that are (laughs) affecting my liver (laughs) by the plastic bottles that I'm purchasing to help my liver. It's like this cyclical pattern. So I think at some point we wake up and realize, okay, if we really want things to change, we all get to be environmentalists on some level and start to make choices that impact everyone positively.
1: So for the women who are listening, who do know they have a mold sensitivity, How do you start to approach it? I'll use myself as an example because this was where the conversation started is I know that when I'm in a moldy space, I get brain fog, I get a histamine reaction, like my tongue starts to hurt. And I also go into this fight or flight state and I will literally go into a space and I'll look up at the ceiling. It's like the first thing I do. If I go into a bodega, go into a new workspace, go into the grocery store, I'm like looking to see those like brown patches where there's water damage. And maybe I am literally creating a trigger cycle, but I know my reaction. So I'm wondering how you work with clients who maybe know they have a mold sensitivity. They've been on detox protocols in the path. They've supported their detox pathways. They try to avoid mold, but sometimes I feel like I used to literally lay in bed and dream of a metal container in a desert. And I was like, we're probably fry, but I won't be having mold symptoms. And I like (laughs) it's three in the morning and I was like, wow, I got to get over this. And I know that you have done some neural retraining and things like that to help people.
0: Again, this is keeping in mind the person that you're talking about, including yourself, has already started the detox process. When we're looking at any chronic health symptom, whether it's mold or any chemical sensitivity or any of those things, there's always two parts. There's the toxic part and then there's sensitivity. And typically those, they have a crossover between the two of them. So you're talking about an individual that's already addressing the toxicity aspect. So this is where the cell has a toxic burden and that you're supporting that. People don't realize that these are two different things, toxicity and sensitivity. Sensitivity is more how the nervous system is actually responding. And that's something that has to be addressed simultaneously. Otherwise, you end up still having these loop reactions. So a lot of my work, and I will just be really clear that I am not a scientist. I learn from a lot of really amazing people, and then I put it together in a way that I feel like is digestible and uh, people can assimilate. So I just want to note that a lot of my studies are from Dr. Neil Nathan, Annie Hopper, Dr. Datis Karazian, and Dr. Perry Nicholson, and I've compiled all of their amazing work and utilized it with my clients with amazing success. I always like to know people that have done a lot of research and put a lot of work into this. So what you're talking about a lot with when you're going into a room and you're seeing stuff, when you're seeing the mold. This has to do with our limbic system. So our limbic system is how our brain takes in information and then processes it in order to determine whether or not it's safe or not. For those of you listening, I'm just going to break down the limbic system so that you can understand it. And then I'm going to give you some things that you can actually do so that you're not walking away from this. Of Oh, great. That was more information. But now what do I do? So the limbic system is made from the amygdala. So the amygdala is basically what codes emotional memories, our fear center. It basically will take in information and then determine whether or not we are emotionally threatened. This could be internal. So it could be bacteria. It could be mold. It could be viruses. It basically registers a pathogen and then goes into a trauma response. Okay. So this is what's considered the limbic system response. The next part of the limbic system is the hippocampus. So this processes and stores and assigns value and meaning. Stress causes it to decrease in size and number of neurons. So again, so every time we get stressed, this part of our brain starts to shrink. Then there's the hypothalamus, which actually it's been proven that mold negatively impacts the hypothalamus specifically. But the hypothalamus links the nervous system to the endocrine system via the pituitary gland. So it's managing all of the health systems. And then there's the cingulate gyrus. This is where the brain and emotions meet. It mediates the response to a nauseous stimuli. So where we focus our attention matters. So if we're focusing on something And it's basically going to keep us in a loop. So when you go in and you see that mold, you are literally creating a loop there because your body, especially if you smell mold too. So this is the other thing that we want to take in. The limbic system is all about our orifices. So it's our ears, our eyes, our nose, our mouth, our skin. It's all of our sense organs. So it's taking in all of this information and then creating these loop patterns. And our brain is really lazy. Once we have this cross wiring in our brain, and our brain assimil- like has associated now, Emily associates mold with threat. She associates mold with fear, probably, or whatever these things are, these emotions. Because as you've heard, all of these parts of the brain also have emotional associations to them. So as soon as she takes in that information or the, the individual takes in information and that crosswiring happens, then this whole cascade of actual symptoms happen as well. So there's that aspect of it is the limbic system. And then basically when we go into the stress response, that's how the body is taking in information. And then we go into a stress response. So then now we're moving into the vagal theory and into the vagal break. So if you guys are not familiar with vagal theory, we have essentially three different places that we can go, which is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest. This is healing. It's actually an anti-inflammatory state. This is where we want to be most of the time. And then we have the sympathetic nervous system state. And this is where our HPA axis, our hypothalamus pituitary and adrenal axis is activated. It's our fight or flight. And then we actually have something called dorsal vagal, which is a shutdown state. So typically with a mold person, we're seeing a lot of that hyper arousal. Emily, you were saying you go into a hyper aroused state. This is a fight or fight state. In that state, we're actually in an inflammatory state. When we're thinking about how do we change this? It's like, all right, so now we understand what's happening, but how do we change this? It's gonna sound crazy, but basically we have to become very careful what we're thinking. Because whatever we're thinking essentially creating deeper grooves in our neuroplasticity. It is creating, it's wiring over and over those same patterns. And so in order to disrupt it, we have to disrupt it in all ways, including our thoughts, how we react, our emotions to it. And we have to also just start to evaluate what are we committed to? Are we committed to our illness or are we committed to our wellness? And It can be hard because it's very real. Like your tongue going numb or tingling is real. Like your reactions that you have, like the histamine reactions are very real. And so sometimes when I see these things, it can feel like not bypassing in some way. And I don't want anyone to think that this is bypassing the actual responses that your body is having. But assuming that you are on a detox protocol, assuming that you are doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing in order to like physically, mechan- like mechanistically, cellular level, pull those toxins out of your body, then this is like the deeper inner work that has to happen in order for your body to stop that crosswiring. And if you have ever heard or ever listened to Annie Hopper, she had a severe chemical sensitivity so much that she had to camp. She became homeless due to her chemical sensitivity. And she was able to heal herself through this limbic system work and rewiring her brain. And so it's really important that people realize that the stress that we feel, and we also hear people like Dispenza, Joe Dispenza. Yeah, that, yeah. Dr. Joe Dispenza, you hear all of these amazing miracles. We're like, oh, and this person healed and this person healed. Why are they healing? Because they're moving out. They're actually taking their minds. They're actually reclaiming their minds. They're repatterning and what they're thinking and believing. And then they're also taking themselves out of a sympathetic dominant state. So when he said, I've heard him repeat this over and over whatever it is, whatever that trigger is not worth it. So for you, Emily, like this thing that I would say is you are living a healthy lifestyle. You are aware you are reducing your load. And so it's like in those moments of I'm going to trust my body. I trust my body is resilient. I trust my body. It can handle whatever that it's not to say that we go and we live in a moldy home after that, but it's actually starting to act to reclaim the mind and not continually think that, oh my God, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And the ways that we can really start to do that is through limbic system retraining. And if you guys aren't familiar with that, it's basically a disruption in the thought pattern. So it's actually becoming aware of the thought pattern loops when they're about to start. You disrupt it in ways that are both physical, emotional, and mental. So an example of this would be you walk into a room, you see the mold, you start to feel unsafe. You would literally go stop like out loud, stop, and do a physical motion with your body, and then smile. So then you start to bring a different emotion in, and I'm and I'm shortening this real this process because it's a little bit more in depth. But then you would like smile and bring a bet, like a different emotion in, and start telling yourself a different story. My body is completely safe. I'm doing all the things. Like you start to look for the positive in it. And it's a lot of work because these are loops that have been ingrained for a long time, but there's that part of it. And then another thing is learning how to actually tone and stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system state. Instead, when you go into a sympathetic state, it's learning how to come back into a parasympathetic state. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do that gargling, gagging, cold showers, all of that. But one of the best techniques that I actually learned was a kinesiology taping on the, just in front of the sternocleidomastoid muscle is really powerful for doing that. So just because there's, that's where the ventral vagal nerve goes down, but there's just different ways that you have to learn that you can bring yourself back into your power because it's basically giving your power to mold every single time you allow that Narrative to spin you out and realizing I get to be in charge of my thought patterns. I'm okay. I'm safe. Really bringing in that, and I know that it can be challenging when we have physical health symptoms going on. But I think that's that's the deeper inner work that I spend a lot of time doing with my clients because it's not the easy stuff. Taking a protocol can sometimes be quite easy. Sometimes it's not. But like it's easier than what I'm describing because these patterns can be even present before the mold exposure. Some of these thought patterns and loops might even be from early traumas or those sorts of things. And then now they're just being replicated in different areas.
1: Yeah. So I think, especially in the functional medicine world, there's this idea of, like you were talking about, this toxic burden that fills the cup and then the cup overfloweth, and then we could get triggered into an autoimmune flare-up. And I think, and I know this for some of the women in Thyroid Strong, that are living in mold, they might not have the funds to move and they might not have the funds to currently remediate. So they're just in this limbo of not thriving, but just trying to survive. And I think in those moments of walking into those spaces, seeing water damage, which doesn't always mean mold, but could, that, oh my God, I've done so much work to decrease the toxic burden. And now here I am in a space that's potentially increasing the toxic load. And so I think one of the techniques that I work on is just humming to that long exhale, stimulating the palate just to get out of that sympathetic state. I think for those people who, let's say they feel maybe stuck in a space that has mold, do you find that even using those techniques will start to help get out of that inflammatory sympathetic state?
0: I guess what matters is how inflamed they are, because I think it's going to help no matter what. So, on some level, I think this is going to help. What came to me when you were talking that I just also want to note is I think it's very easy within the functional medicine world, if you're already a perfectionist, to become more so a perfectionist. And when you're in an environment that you cannot control, right? Oh my gosh, I'm doing all this work. I've committed so much money to get better. And now, oh my gosh, now I realize. It's all for nothing that can really start to spiral someone down and feel really defeated because they've done all this work and they don't have control over that. So I think that this is where new narratives come in, such as there's no such thing as perfect. I'm going at my own pace. And these are the things that I like to tell people that. We're always going two different trajectories. We're either going towards disease or health. And sometimes our path towards health isn't going to be as fast as we'd like. Yeah, it would be great if we all lived in a bubble, like a perfect bubble and ate perfect food and we're exposed to nothing. We would be way over here. But that's just not life. And I think for myself, it's like, how can we just start to create more and more resiliency? So I would say for those individuals, decreasing that sympathetic state is really important so being aware of it because you might be going into a sympathetic state not even just because of the mold in your home but because you react to negative emails that you're getting from your boss or you might be going into a sympathetic state When you walk into your house and your kids have it a mess, or there's all of these normal life situations that we might not be regulating our nervous system to that are just adding to that inflammatory state. So those are a lot of things that you do have control over. So starting to really break down and see, okay, I don't have control over my house right now, but I can keep it really ventilated. I can have this air purifier. I can reduce my toxic burden. And I have a lot of control over how I react and respond to things that is going to really help me come back into a healing state. And I don't think that's for nothing. I think that's a better choice and is moving you more towards the direction that you want to go than not doing that and being nervous system, emotional ping pong ball going up and down constantly where you're going to be more inflamed. So I do think it does make a difference. Obviously, we all want to live in our completely mold-free environments. But the other thing that I want to know is, at the end of the day, all of this matters because we want to have freedom. We want to have freedom to travel. We want freedom to be with our families. We want to have freedom just to be ourselves. And part of that is resiliency. We're never going to have perfect. We're never going to have that perfect environment or the perfect home or all of those things. So I think this mental aspect is the big missing piece to creating that resiliency is realizing that you do have so much control over the inflammatory your body is having on the day-to-day, moment-to-moment level.
1: What does it mean, resiliency? I think of it as, at least for myself, having like a strong body, a clear mind, like being really open and present with my kids and the people I'm around. But at the same time, I think sometimes on our functional medicine journey, it can feel instead of freedom, it can feel contracted. Do I really want to travel to a developing country and have to get parasites and feel terrible and then have to kill like all those little things or explore an Airbnb where there might be mold? Sometimes on this journey, I'm trying to build my resiliency. And especially with the autoimmune population, it can feel sometimes like we're victims versus empowering, yet sometimes the journey can feel contracting. So what does it mean to build that resiliency?
0: So a client of mine comes to mind when I think about resiliency and when she came to me, she had mold issues. So she was having regular rashes for mold, her thyroid. She wasn't Hashi, but she was low thyroid function. She was impacting her thyroid so she's no longer working with me. She's a past client. But I've been watching her story. She just recently did a family trip to Italy, and she stayed at these beautiful Airbnbs. She was able to have a little bit of glass of wine. She had more flexibility in her diet. She still stayed stick to some non-negotiables, which is no gluten and no dairy. But She had that freedom to be able to travel. To me, that is a sign of resiliency. Did she have some pushback from that when she went a little bit too far? Yeah, she started to have some pain in her body that was like her max of, okay, got to pull it in, got to bring it back in. But to me, Emily, I love to travel. So for me, that is resiliency. If I want to be able to go see the world and if it means that I meet my edge and then I'm able to come back, and go backward and forwards without completely losing it or completely being floored. That to me is resiliency rather than just having to stay home and being one's personality is different. But for me, just staying home and never seeing the world is not how I want to live my life. So I think the resiliency is understanding what your non-negotiables are and sticking to those no matter where you are. But also in the beginning, I travel with an entire apothecary, okay? No joke. Like, I was ready for COVID. I'm ready for parasites. I'm ready for, I was ready for all, okay? I travel like that. I travel like that. Some people might feel victimy around that. I feel empowered. I feel happy about that. I feel amazing that I have the ability to help myself in those situations rather than feel bad. So I think there's like a mindset shift that also gets to happen around it. Some people might feel victim-y that they go to France, they can't have a chocolate croissant. I don't because I've gone to France actually a couple of years ago and said, screw it, I'm gonna have the chocolate croissant. And then was like, that was a pointless. That was a waste. It wasn't even as great. And they have great gluten-free Bakeries now, so I think if there's these areas where you just get to see, kind of, search for yourself. These are the areas that are most important for me, and these are the ones where I am okay with it, like just being the way it is. So I no longer feel victimy around supplements or diet. Those are just now is the way that I'm living, and it feels like an empowered choice. And I also see. For those of you that are not in the health industry, Emily might be able to attest to this too, but I see the people that aren't committed in the way that we're committed. And I see the repercussions that that has. They might not be showing it in their 30s, but they're going to be showing it in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and they're going to be on prescriptions versus on supplements. So it's just a choice that you're making. Neither one is good nor bad. It's just what direction do you want to go? So I think resiliency is. I think you do have to work with the nervous system to have some of that resiliency if you're really sensitive. But once you have that, once you've done the work, whether that's in your physical protocol or your mental emotional protocol, then you have more room and leeway. Because I'll tell you, seven years ago, I was. Way more rigid with everything than I am now. So it's not to say that I was always loosey goosey. I did bike packing trips, you guys, with dehydrated paleo, autoimmune paleo, keto foods. Like I did that. Like I made those foods for myself, dehydrated them so I could go on long bike packing trips with my ex. But that's the level of commitment I had. And that's what we need at the beginning. And then as we improve, we should have more resiliency to, to loosen things up a little bit.
1: How do you help women or clients determine what those non negotiables are and what the negotiables are? I call it for me, I call them like my sacred cows. I'm like, these are my sacred cows. (laughs) We don't mess with them. (laughs) I'm not going to eat gluten. I know I get a headache within 20 minutes, but how do you help women determine what those are for themselves? Typically, when they're
0: working with me, they'll figure it out on their own because I will put them on a protocol or I'll give them a suggested protocol. And more often than not, I'd say nine out of 10 people will go off of that at some point and get really strong feedback from their body on their own. So I think that is actually the most powerful is when somebody actually realizes, oh, I felt really good like this and not so good over here. And then they start to realize what's working and what's not working for them and where they can have more leeway and not. But in general, across the board, as gluten is a no for all my clients, I think. I think just gluten is not healthy. It's highly sprayed with glyphosate. It's shown to cause leaky gut in everybody, not even just people that are gluten sensitive. It's just the degree to which it's impacting you. So it's just, do you really want to set yourself up for autoimmune disease if you don't have it? If you're playing a game of risk there, if you're playing around with that. So gluten is one of those that I suggest to all my clients to keep out no matter what. And then all of the other inflammatory foods are more individualized. But hopefully in the process of working with me, they have more resiliency in their diet as well. I'm big on strict diets being primarily used in a protocol situation. And then expanding afterwards.
1: So, not being on that strict diet for life.
0: Exactly. By strict, you guys, I'm talking about restricting huge like food groups. Yeah. Not necessarily gluten, but. Gluten's not
1: a food I... for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like do everything but gluten right gluten chemical foods processed foods but i know that some people seemingly can handle gluten okay but we also have to keep in mind that the gluten that we have now and the way that we process our food is completely different so it's just not even the same animal if we even think back to like jesus christ days when it says talking about breaking bread that bread was hard as a rock okay that her bread that bread was not ooey gooey like whatever we were imagining right like shelf stable for five minutes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it's just, everything's different. So we can't even look back and say, we've been eating gluten for X amount of years. It's a different monster now.
1: If you were to choose two techniques, maybe one that is like physical and then one where you're using verbiage for someone who finds themselves in that fight, flight, freeze, sympathetic state,
0: which two would you choose or could you share? When I think about the physical practice, I think one thing that is important that I've had to learn because I realized that from early childhood trauma that I had a big disassociating pattern, which is basically when you leave your body, it's more of a shutdown state. A big thing for me when I'm in a hyper aroused state is actually to pause before I start to actually try to stimulate my vagus nerve is to actually pause and to feel my body, like what is actually happening? What is the emotion that's coming up? Because I will very easily bypass that. So for me to stop and pause, wow, I'm feeling scared. Okay, let me feel where I feel that in the body. Okay, what is it that I need? Like actually coming to myself and mothering myself for a moment and actually noticing what I need what is the fear what am i making this mean and actually allowing the emotion to have it i'm feeling really scared i feel like i'm gonna get sick again what do i need right now i need a hug i like typically it's very primal whatever that need is and seeing if i can actually source that need because for me that's just been a big part of more of like embodiment work and being with myself and being with my nervous system and then after that then i can think about okay what can I do for my nervous system right now? I feel shut down or I feel hyper aroused. And in that moment, how can I calm myself down? A really easy one I think that everyone could do is just take a piece of ice. And start to rub your chest and your neck with a piece of ice. And that will bring you back into a ventral vagal state pretty quickly. But I think it is important that we don't bypass the emotional process of that as well. And then in terms of just the mindsets, I've been down this rabbit hole of the mind for a long time. Not even just with the physical health, but even just our beliefs about ourselves and the world. At some point, I was like, gosh, you just have to be freaking delusional sometimes to change your belief about something or yourself, because some of these patterns are so deeply ingrained. I thought that they were just make-believe, the fake it till you make it, you're being delusional. But now that I can really see that there's actual science to back it with the neuroplasticity and the neural pathways, I think it's really just realizing that we need to think greater than how we feel. And when we have those things happen, recognizing this is not me, it's my brain. Right. So taking a moment of just like really discern, like it's not me, it's my brain. And then looking for evidence and support that the positive changes that you're making are working rather than we can really start to harness. Oh, my gosh, this is me. I'm talking about what I do. I'll easily spiral into it's all falling the part. I go into this devastation mode if I don't catch myself and you have to like really stop that. Like, like you cannot even leave room for that you know you know that you're doing the right things for your health in your body in that moment you do the committed action you remove yourself you take a supplement or whatever those things are you have to physically do and then you take control of that mental spiral before you create a bigger groove so I think fake it till you make it or being slightly delusional in this regard as long as you are in committed action for your health you know it sounds a bit crazy but that's what we have to do in order to change the neural pathways How can fake it
1: till you make it not feel like how it sounds? So when I hear that, I think, okay, you're going to go through this experience. You're going to put yourself, take yourself out of that fear state. The delusion, almost like a self-betrayal, not honoring what the situation
0: is potentially. That's what I'm saying. You do have to discern, are you honoring yourself? If you are, I don't think that let's just use you as an example, because I know that you honor yourself. Okay. And a lot of your listeners probably are as well. You are in committed action with your health. There's probably not much more you can be doing for your physical health. So in that moment, that is not any sort of self-abandonment. In that moment, this is what you have to discern. It's am I in committed action? Yeah, I'm in committed action. So I've got my bases covered on this physical sense, right? I'm doing those things. But now I'm in this mental, emotional state. And actually, I would say it's more of a self abandonment in that moment to allow yourself to spiral into fear, because that's when you have to discern in that moment. This is not me. This is brain. This is brain. This is my cross wiring here. I know this groove. I've been here a million times before. I know where this is going. I can predict how I'm going to feel. I can predict all of this that's about to unfold here. And in that moment, actually having that inner strength. And I know the words delusional or fake it probably devalue it. But what's really happening in your brain is you're creating new neuroplasticity. So you're creating a new wiry in the brain. And it feels uncomfortable. Your brain feels lazy. Your brain is going to be screaming at you. No, you're going to do it wrong. I don't know. Like all of this stuff, of, it's going to make it worse. Or I don't, all of this stuff that's going to come into your mind. And you have to be able to tell that part of you of, no, dude, I've been doing this for 10 years or however long I've been doing that. I've been down this past five years already and over and over. We got it covered. We're taking the binders. We're doing the detoxing, <laughs> like the air purifiers on. And I don't want to do that anymore. I'm done with that. I'm ready for something different. I'm ready to be resilient. And I know that it feels uncomfortable and it feels a little bit like this can't be it. This cannot be the thing that's going to help me. But it's in that moment that you actually have some power over yourself. So you can actually do some physical things, right? So you can go get the ice and you can start to trigger your parasympathetic. But putting ice on you while you're still spiraling mentally is not going to do very much. So you have to actually, you're putting your ice on you and then also simultaneously starting to reach for some thoughts of how is this actually working? What's some evidence that this actually is working for me, that I'm actually improving, that I'm actually becoming more resilient? How can I look for things that are moving me in the direction that I want to go versus where I don't want to go. And that kind of comes back to that thing that I said of, are we more committed to our illness or to our wellness? And I know those of you that have been struggling with chronic illness for a long time and maybe have been devalued or unheard from doctors, that can be triggering because it's, I haven't been heard for so long. And now you're telling me that what I'm saying isn't true. I'm not saying that. I'm saying everything that you're experiencing is 100% true. Those symptoms are 100% true. And those symptoms are a cause of not just a physical thing, but this psycho-emotional loop that's happening in your brain, right? In this brain loop. And so if you want to get out of that, you have to support your physical health and we have to rewire your brain so that when you smell mold, you no longer think I'm about to die. You smell mold and you think, my body's resilient. I'm going to be able to handle that. And your brain is going to be lazy because you've already thought X amount of times that this is a danger. So it's going to feel hard, and you're going to feel weird thinking, I'm resilient now. I can handle walking through this moldy post office for five minutes and I'm going to be fine. Yeah. And it does feel strange. I feel like I've gotten to a place of resiliency, but even in my own self-concept. So these practices can be replicated in any area of your life that it's no longer serving you because we have lots of beliefs that we will outgrow at some point. I love that message. Where can people find you in your work? So my website is Dr. Nancy Kroll or on Instagram. My handle is also at Dr. Nancy Kroll.
1: And you have a program, you have multiple programs, but the main program is?
0: Yeah. So I have a 12 month signature program. It's called Resonance. So it includes The physical, like what I've been talking about, detoxing. So there's functional labs and we heal the gut microbiome and detox the body, optimize hormones. But then we do a lot of the internal work that I'm talking about. So limbic system retraining, vagal nerve toning, and just understanding our emotional patterns, I think is really important. I take everyone through the lens of Taoist, the Taoist five elements. That's the basis of Chinese medicine as a way of kind of understanding our emotions. So... We do a lot of that, which I think is really powerful for people because we have a lot of unexpressed emotions or we're unaware of our emotions and those patterns will show up physically as well. Yeah.
1: And you also have a podcast.
0: I do. I just launched a podcast. I forgot about that. I'm like, (laughs) like, oh, yeah, I do have a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Six weeks ago, I launched my podcast. It's called Disrupt the System. Yeah, and it's on all major podcast platforms to listen.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, podcast platforms. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you Nancy. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode or even learned just one new piece of information to help you on your Hashimoto's journey, would you do me a huge favor? Rate and review Thyroid Strong Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you used to listen in to this podcast and share what you liked. Maybe you learned something new. And if you didn't like it, well, shoot me a DM on Instagram, Dr. Emily Kybird. I read and respond to every single DM. I truly believe all feedback is good feedback, even the ugly comments. If you're interested in joining the Thyroid Strong course, a home workout program using kettlebells and weights, where I teach you how to work out without the burnout, go to dremilykybird.com forward slash TS waitlist. You'll get all the most up-to-date information on when the course launches and goes live, special deals and early access bonuses for myself, and my functional medicine doctor friends. Again, DrEmilyKyber.com forward slash T-S waitlist. I hope to see you on the inside, ladies.